Welcome to a special episode of our Tech 15 series from CFA Institute's 71st Annual Conference in Hong Kong. My name is Srinivas Kunte. I am the Director for Continuing Education and Advocacy at CFA Institute. We have with us here now Mr. Christopher Ailman. Chris is the Chief Investment Officer of California State Teachers Retirement System, where he leads a staff of more than 140 investment professionals and oversees assets of more than 200 billion US dollars. 225 as of Two, last week. Thank you. Chris sits on several boards and advisory boards, including the UNPRI Manager Selection Committee and the SASB Investor Advisory Group. He's a recipient of many distinguished awards, and he's a renowned, he's a regular speaker at many renowned media channels. Uh, we are honored to have him here today, and we are hoping that he can share his insights as a CIO on corporate governance. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. Glad to be here. So I wanted to understand what are some of the fundamental rules of corporate governance which are often violated. And a secondary question is, why are they violated? Have, have these violations changed over time? Wow. Why are they violated? <laughs> I think, you know... I've noticed that CEOs of corporations more and more start to think that they're kings of their own dynasty. Right. And they want to pick the boards that they report to. They pick other CEOs to be on the boards who have their support and then sort of have their back. And that leads in many cases to poor governance decisions. And, and we've been at corporate governance for over 30 years. And what we see on a regular basis is CEOs and boards that make decisions in favor of the CEO instead of holding their feet to the fire, holding them accountable. And inevitable, they're human beings and they, they make mistakes and mess up. Um, you know, the most common mistakes that we see are a lack of diversity in the board of directors, which then leads to groupthink in their decision-making process. Uh, they don't hold management accountable, ask enough risk, simple risk questions. Right. Um, things like CEO compensation. Um, you know, we've been pretty vocal about having chair and, and the CEO split. Jamie Dimon jumped all over me and explained why he wanted that to, to be the same. I understand that, but uh, I think that you need an in, uh, uh, definitely to identify an independent director that's a lead independent director simply to ask the tough questions. Um, it's not like we're looking for the board to be in a conflict and a fight with the CEO. That's not in our advantage. Right. What we want to see, though, is that they ask some tough questions about the future and they plan together. You're, you know, you're, you're trying to operate a company for 20 or 30 or 40 years. You can't predict the future, but CEOs somehow constantly think that they can. Right. So, Corporate governance is almost glacial in nature. The change is very slow. Right. I can't disaggregate the return and show you where a good board resulted directly in a stock price change. Right. But I can show you over time the risks of where boards made poor decisions or didn't pay attention to the risks and then the company fell apart right. and had some kind of a major disaster. Right. So you pointed out independence and diversity as two cornerstones. Uh, of, a, of a good board, but uh, does this uh, is this a solution for all types of companies, from startups to matured businesses 
to high growth businesses and across geographies also is this i mean is there is are these principles unshakable or uh, you know they change far too often i have seen group think and it is, you know, groupthink just doesn't reside uh, just with white males, as I say, that look like male. You know, even though most of the U.S. boards are like me, they're pale, male, and stale. Right. Um, but if you have the same kind of a board in Japan that all went to similar universities, look at the French structure where in France so many people went to one or two universities, you get stuck at the risk of groupthink. Right. where nobody stops to ask the simple questions. I right. go back to the 08 crisis as a classic example. Right. Those uh, broker terms had been eight, eight to one, 12 to one levered for, in some cases, over 100 years. Right. And suddenly they go to 30 to one leverage and 40 to one leverage. Right. And it doesn't seem like anybody in that boardroom stopped to ask, is this really the right thing to do? Just right. because Merrill did it and Lehman did it, should we really follow it? Right. And when Bear Stearns went broke, that they didn't stop and say, okay, wait a minute here, right. is this really the right structure? Are we really understanding our risks? Right. Our model says home prices in the US go up for, forever. Right. right. It, it isn't hard to think of somebody that would say, I'm, I'm not sure, should we test that question? Right. I, I use the example as a quip and maybe it will help the audience a bit. If instead of Lehman Brothers, it had, might have been Lehman Sisters, do we think we would have had a different example? Or better yet, yes. if it had been Lehman Family. Right. So for most people that come from a, a, a bigger family, yes. think about any tough family decision. Right. There's debate. Right. That's right. And hopefully you arrive at a better decision. The debate just if everybody is from the same background and the same idea, yes. decisions aren't as challenged. So, your question about startups? Yes. Absolutely. I mean, you need people with experience at other startups, not just That's young right. people that are starting up, but That's somebody who's been through this before. That's right. When you're a, a company and you're trying to expand or compete globally, you need to understand Latin America. You need to understand Asia. Right. You're not going to do that by sitting, say, in London or sitting in uh, America and, right. and read about Asia. Right. You need somebody who's probably been here and had their feet on the ground. And especially today, when you think about companies where the board is all 60 years and older. Yes. You know they're not keeping up with technology right. and the advances of technology. That's right. They need to have age diversification. Yes. So it isn't, to us, an independent director isn't just somebody that looks different or has a different education. It's somebody who thinks outside the box. It right. could be the CEO's friend, but if they challenge them and ask them the tough questions, that's independent. The hard part for us as a shareholder is we can't see. Right. We don't get the copy of the minutes Absolutely. to know who's asking the tough questions. So we have to rely on background and and ethnic makeup and gender to decide, well, that person might be independent. Well, that are great insights, debate and diversification. And you also touched upon, you know, we don't get to see the minutes part, the disclosures. So how should, I mean, uh, folks like you are extremely informed investors. Uh, but there are minority investors and a class above them. And in those minority investors, you have got wealth advisors who are informed, but there are others who are not informed at all, especially in emerging markets. How should they look at governance and what should they, you know, are there some, uh, is there some guidance that, uh, you know, they can take from the stock? Well, I would say that, number one, that we're seeing more and more services come in and provide good information on um, on governance and evaluating the governance. 
number two is I think you have to take the time to look beyond the financials. Mm -hmm. You know, the CFA curriculum is expanding. It is not just doing financial ratios and looking at the, the income statement, the balance sheet. Mm -hmm. Think about that. Mm -hmm. They're one date in time or they're backwards looking. That's that's yeah. in the past. Yes. I want to look at the MDNA. What's management talking about? Yes. That's forward looking. Right. And so I think financial analysis, even in the emerging markets, is looking more at management comments and are they paying attention to risks and are they thinking about the future? Right. To try and help people, we've been a big advocate. You mentioned that I'm on the investor advisory group yes. of SASB, the yes. Sustainability Accounting yes. Standards yes. Board. Because what we're trying to do is create a discipline, a framework that the same people that have the financial ratios get sustainability ratios that right. tell them about is the company paying attention to material risks to that industry and its future. And then you can compare two companies side by side. Yes. I use the example of ExxonMobil and British Petroleum. Right. Um, ten years ago, everybody thought British Petroleum was the green company. Right. But if they disclosed, you'd find out that, that if you looked wrong. at accidents and the accident rate, Exxon had usually less than double digits every year. Right. Whereas BP would average in the hundreds. Right. Now, it wouldn't forecast Deepwater Horizon, but comparing those two companies, you got a better picture inside of, wow, who's operating with a little bit more safety margin, more right. efficiently? Who's cutting corners and trying to get stuff done just to boost quarterly earnings? Maybe I don't want to rely on those corporate earnings. So that's, I think that's what that deeper analysis, that that looking deeper, and especially in the emerging markets. Right. Um, what's interesting, we talk about ESG. Yes. Governance, uh, environmental, uh, social, and, and governance. governance. Yes. What I'm fascinated about in the emerging markets is sometimes the governance. We don't like it because it's a family-owned yes, or yes. they control the voting yes, share. Yes. But what I often find is if it's family-owned, they actually pay a lot of attention to the E and the S. They should be. Because in it's, it's multi-generational. That's right. It's not just I want to make money in this 91-day period. It's right. my name is on the line. I care about this company. It's my yes. family's reputation. I want to pass it on generation down right. the road. Right. They actually think longer term than some of the big U.S. companies or global companies do. Is that what uh, your insights say? Because I was worried that uh, you know some of the world's biggest pesticide producers uh, actually maybe in emerging markets. In fact, they are. Yeah. So, so I'm not very sure. So I, that gets me to the next question on EAG. I wanted to understand in a in a very quick manner. You know, geographically speaking. How has ESG evolved, as well as you know across time? How has ESG evolved? What do you think is the? I mean, I know future predicting future is difficult, but you know there are three questions really: geography, uh, time, and your view on the future. Well, I think when you look at ESG uh, from a geographic standpoint, yes, clearly Europe absolutely gets it, um, and is is integrating it from an asset owner's perspective and an asset manager perspective. Right. They're asking the tough questions. Um, and within the USA, it's it's still just evolving. If you imagine the USA, it's almost an upside down U. In yes. California, Oregon, Washington, the Canadians get yes. it. Then a little bit of the East Coast, but the center of the country doesn't care and doesn't want to know. Right. Uh, and I think in Asia, I right. credit Hiro Mizuno at GPIF, who's really starting to bring this forward and ask the tough questions. Right. So, and the Australians absolutely get it. So. Right. Geography-wise, it's still split, but that shows it's emerging. It's mm -hmm. a new 
you're embracing new ideas and trying to get better standards, the reporting isn't consistent, so it's hard to analyze. Right. And in terms of what I think, you know, the time frame into the future, uh, I think you're starting to see, particularly the millennial generation, ask the tough questions uh, and absolutely believe it. Uh, the biggest challenge I have is my, my staff that are CFAs that are baby boomers. Right. They've done the work, they want to look at financial analysis, they don't want to have to learn something new now. Right. But it's the younger people that are CFAs that are asking these kind of questions about, hey, I want to know how this company's going to operate. Because we know that trading doesn't help you. It right. up transaction costs and you don't earn a return. I want to own the market, so I'm going to invest for 20, 30, 40 years in some company. So I care about how they're going to operate to the long term. And I want to put that analysis into our into our decision making about particularly private equity, real estate, infrastructure. Right. Uh, in the equity markets, we own the entire market. Right. I mean, that's a that's a very good insight on long-term investing versus short-term investing. I have not seen research which says that short-term reinvesting has really worked. Uh, now, how does one do that behavioral change? That is one quick, you know, insight from you. And the second is, uh, as a closing, uh, you know, remark, I want to under, you refer to MDNA. You know, are you using, you know, machines or computer tools or deep learning to get uh, to know the bad reports from the good reports? We're not because we're not active stock pickers, but right. I know our managers are. Okay. Uh, BlackRock in particular and other people are looking okay. at the language that's used. But the problem I have with that is it reinforces boilerplate language. Right. It's reinforcing management not to, not to actually talk to us right. and say information. I, I get so frustrated with analyst calls. Right. They're so focused on the short term. Let management talk about the long term. I'm not looking for predictions and risk of it, this is going to happen. But what are the material risks that they're thinking about in their business over the next 20 and, 20 and 30 years? Are they thinking beyond 91 day periods? Right. Okay, thank you very much, Chris. Very nice having you here. It was a very insightful interview. It's a pleasure, thank my you. pleasure. Thank you, viewers. Thank you for listening in. Copyright 2018, CFA Institute, all rights reserved. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.